This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I mentioned this morning that God has laid on my heart in this, our 50th anniversary year, to look at subjects that need to be addressed as we consider our own service before the Lord so that we're in a place where God can fulfill his vision through us. It's also important that pastors keep God's flock in remembrance of certain truths that are essential to our walk with the Lord, but things that perhaps some of us have heard for years and we become accustomed. We should never become accustomed to the things of God, the truths of God. I fear that one of those areas where we become accustomed is the table of the Lord. His table is a time to worship, remember, and celebrate the freedom that Jesus won for us on his cross. We have already sung of that. Worship the Lord for that tonight. To the glory of God, Jesus won our freedom and deliverance over sin through his blood atonement. As Americans, we should always be thankful for our country. What we're enjoying here tonight is because lots of blood has been spilled. But as American Christians, our perspective ought to be, how great is our God to us? Because he sent his son to become a man and he shed his blood to win our eternal freedom. We as Americans had our freedoms won through the blood of patriots in the American Revolution. They were standing against tyranny. Our Declaration of Independence says this, quote, the history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpation, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And they laid out those facts. And of course, in that declaration, which was an act of war itself, Many of our fellow countrymen took to fields in places even nearby like Yorktown, stood firm, paid the ultimate price, many, so that our freedom could be won. This is why it offends many of us and should offend all of us when our freedoms are taken for granted and those who should be honored are not. I call it desecration. There's something inside of me that really goes bad when somebody walks on the flag of the United States of America. When people don't take seriously our holidays and, and places where we commemorate that great sacrifice. 
Now, I appeal to your thinking on that because in a similar way, but a much greater way, the God of heaven is offended when we desecrate his table in remembrance of that great sacrifice for us. Someone has defined the gospel as God's declaration of freedom. But it required a battle that resulted in the death of his son. The history, and again, I'm going to just requote what the Declaration of Independence says. The history of this present God of this world, Satan, is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations. We, we would say from Scripture the greatest usurpation. He wanted to be God. All having a direct object, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the souls of men. He wants to send as many souls to hell as he possibly can. And then God intervened. With this truth in mind, we need to understand that it offends God greatly when we take our spiritual freedom for granted. And when we don't honor the Savior at the specific commemoration that God has instituted to remember him. There are holidays where we just stop and pause to remember. Memorial Day. How many Americans just don't care? We take time here regularly to stop and remember the table of the Lord. How many Christians just don't care? Let's be honest. Convenience shouldn't have anything to do with it. We, 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 just, we just don't care. What's even more tragic is in this world of ours, the table is redefined to mean something God never intended. This doesn't save. This doesn't confer grace. It's been made superstitious. You take the elements and they become the actual body and blood of Christ. That's pagan. But see, that's, that's what Satan is doing and, and all across this world. They call it by other names, the Eucharist and all these things. And it is incumbent on us as God's people when we come to the table of the Lord to celebrate it as the table of the Lord with, with clean hearts and full reverence because of what we're remembering. So when we come to the Lord's table first celebrated by our Savior with his disciples at the Last Supper, we need to come before him blameless. And I am suggesting to us tonight that that requires that we come in a thoughtful and understanding way. We're going to consider some truths that every parent ought to teach to their children. Uh, this is something that as God's people, we should have clear in our minds. I think it's also important because we are living in a time where people are becoming more and more irreverent. We use words like casual, but it's really irreverent. Pastor Coles talked about this with the missionaries last week. And I think just generally we need that reminder. 
there's a lot about cathedrals and, and all of that that should repulse us. But one thing that, that those cathedrals and even with some other false religions that call themselves Christian, one thing that they do well is they show reverence. Not the same Jesus we serve, but when they come into a place like this, they call it the sanctuary. They kneel, they bow, they show reverence. And those are good reminders for us. But especially when we come to the Lord's table, we would be disgusted if somebody was desecrating or partying in Arlington. But Paul had to address a church in Corinth where they were partying at a place where they should have been honoring the king. So you're in 1 Corinthians 11. Let's remind ourselves of a text that we've read many times before, but I think it's important that we review. I want to go to verse 27. Paul has instructed them about what the Lord said, what they should be doing in remembrance of him. But in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy way, a way that is unworthy of him, shall be guilty. It's an offense against the body and blood of the Lord. That's very personal, isn't it? But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily in an unworthy way, Paul's repeating himself, eateth and drinketh damnation, that's the Greek word for judgment, damnation to himself, not discerning, because he has not discerned the Lord's body. You partake of the elements in an undiscerning way, you are really receiving into yourself judgment. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The Corinthians had proof that that's exactly, God meant what he said. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. What a text. But a sobering text, and it bears repeating and review. And so let's look at it. Notice first in the text the charge. The charge is being unfit to participate in the table. That's verse 29. What does it mean to be unfit at the table of the Lord? When a believer participates in a picture without discerning what the picture represents, he or she is unfit. We have a number of children here tonight. Young people, God put this in such a simple way that you can understand it, and in fact, your parents can help you understand it. I remember my parents early on instructing me. I was saved as a child, baptized. And the child tendency is, I now get to do something the adults at my church are doing. And they corrected that thinking pretty quick. It is a privilege. But they explained to me what it represented. And on top of that, I had a wonderful pastor who would take time from the pulpit to instruct on 
how to approach the table of the Lord. If we participate without discerning, we're unfit. All the blessings of my salvation, my forgiveness, my justification. I love walking the paths of this life, realizing as God looks at me, I've been declared righteous. I am as righteous as Jesus. Why? Because I have his righteousness. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now my flesh accuses me. Others can accuse. Satan certainly is the accuser of the brethren. My God doesn't accuse me anymore. Now he does convict. If my life is not right with him. But that's the gracious prodding of the Lord. Live right with me. I saved you for fellowship. But again, it was all won by our Savior's death at Calvary. There are protocols in national cemeteries because of the sacrifices represented there. There are protocols if you visit Normandy and, and, and those other places. There are those who are watching to make sure that there is no desecration of those places. Our Savior lives, but there should be careful discernment when we come to his table. Now, it's not location, location. I was in some Christians' uh, homes recently, and they had an old picture of a group of Russian believers who were meeting out in the woods in the old Soviet Union. Just a table with a tablecloth, and there are the elements what makes that table special is because Jesus is where two or three are gathered together. And when that table is set up to represent what he did, wow. We have the same before us tonight. So we need to discern. Now the Holy Spirit had Paul make a serious uh, charge against some of the believers in Corinth about how they had come to the table of the Lord. The charge also confronted their callousness. To not discern is bad enough, but it also shows just a disregard, just a callousness towards the one who died for me. They were not discerning the Lord's body. Would you take a moment to turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29? Hebrews 10 and verse 29. There the writer of Hebrews, the human writer, talks about the apostate, confronts the apostate about how he views the Savior's sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 29 says this, Oh, how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sacri uh, sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace. Now let's take that apart for a minute. The apostate first has trodden underfoot the Son of God, treated him with the utmost contempt and blasphemy. 
you can go back in the annals of military history, and one of the ways that armies showed their contempt for fallen foes is they would just march over them as they left the battlefield. Imagine anyone having that kind of an attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But the apostate does. Has counted the blood of the covenant, the blood that sealed the covenant, the new covenant. Counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. Do you know what that word unholy means? Common. Just common. Just like anything else. Blood's blood. Oh, no, it's not. Not the blood of the Son of God. And I think just overall, we ought to be warned, anytime your heart grows cold and the things of the Lord become common, you need to get alone with God and ask God to renew you. Blood of the covenant, an unholy thing, and has done despot, insulted, literally, the spirit of God, the spirit of grace. They've insulted the Lord that way. Now, everything that we've talked about here, realize that at the Last Supper, there was an apostate there. Who was it? Help me. It was Judas. Had heard all that teaching, had walked with the Lord, and what did he do? He apostatized. He turned away from it. Uh, with this record in, in the book of Hebrews, no wonder Jesus said of him it would have been better if he had never been what? It would have been better if he had never been born. You, you sense the heart of God towards those who just want to take this, make it common, and toss it aside. But do you realize that Christians can be guilty of the same attitude? That's right. And though the Lord doesn't take away our salvation... Uh, there's not a chance of that. Okay, someone who is genuinely saved will never apostatize. But the reality is when a Christian adopts this common attitude about what is so important, God says, I will chasten that. I will chasten that. I get the sense from Hebrews 10, 29, the God of heaven is deeply offended by anyone who would deny the effectual sacrifice of the Son of God. But the reality is in 1 Corinthians 11, when, when folks were coming to the table and getting drunk and there were all these things that were happening in that church, effectively or essentially they were downplaying, diminishing the effectiveness of the sacrifice of Christ to change a Christian's life. And that brought chastening. 1 Corinthians 11 is teaching the church that with the same deep emotion God responds to the apostate, he will also respond with chastening when his own children are guilty of partaking of his table without discerning the Savior's body. This is such a serious matter that if careful discernment isn't used, and what's the answer? It's correction of self. God says, look, just you get right with me so that I don't have to chasten you to get right with me. 
correction of self, that there will be correction from God. And that, of course, is what uh, verse 28 is teaching. So here's the correction. God is saying, examine yourself or God will do it. Examine yourself or God will do it. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat. It's an invitation. I want you to come. I want to have that fellowship. Eat of the bread, drink of the cup. But don't do it if you come in an undiscerning way. And that undiscernment always leads to a sloppy life where it's likely there's sin. So examine yourself. Now here's where we need to pause and put ourselves back at the Last Supper. The feast was what? What was the Jewish feast that was happening at that time? It was Passover. And into our minds, if you know your Bible, comes flooding in the account of what happened. Pharaoh wasn't going to let them leave Egypt. Any more than Satan wants you to leave the world. And so after all of those plagues, which by the way show the absolute impotency of the gods of Egypt. If you're listening to this message and you think there is any other way but the sacrifice of Christ, you are sadly mistaken. The gods of this world and whatever you've conjured up in your mind, is none of that can save you from death and hell. And so the Lord instituted that night, you apply blood to the top, the sides of the doorpost, a lamb without blemish, without spot. And then when I come through Egypt, where I see the blood, I'll pass over. Pass over. That night where the blood wasn't applied, all the firstborn died. There was great agonizing in the greatest empire on earth because they hadn't listened to God. No one was exempt. It happened in any place in Israel where the blood wasn't applied. We don't read that anyone in Israel defied the command. In Egypt they did, and no one was, no one just happened to get lucky and, and you know, it didn't happen to them. It went all the way to Pharaoh's house. And there was wailing. Kind of reminds us of hell for eternity. Israel was thrust out, and you know that God delivered them that night. That's what they were celebrating, Jesus and the disciples. Jesus was going to show the disciples the Passover was ultimately about him. There was an apostate present, Judas, we've already talked about him. It was interesting, he wasn't allowed to finish the supper. The Lord knew it was in his heart. Exposed him, and he went away. Have you ever thought about the fact that God only wanted true believers at that table? Only believers participated. Though there were varying, varying levels of understanding about what Jesus was about to do. And not, we, we know... Uh, proof when all the disciples fled, they really didn't fully comprehend what Jesus was doing, though he had taught them. We have it so much better, do we not? We have the record of scripture, we get the whole picture. 
which even is more reason why we should be discerning when we come to the table. Today, the light of Scripture gives us that understanding. Our death penalty, he that believeth not is condemned already. Do you know, I haven't shared this part of my testimony with you, there was a time when I was incarcerated and on death row. Oh, by the way, that's your testimony too. If I would have died understanding my need of Christ and not receiving him, I'd be in hellfire. Those who were on death row, back when that actually meant something, they're, they're already dead. It's just a matter of the sentence being carried out. That was our state. Until one day, the prison door flew open and Jesus stepped in and said, I want to take your place. You're free to leave. Now, there are fools that say, no, I'm not going anywhere. I got this figured out. But Jesus intervened in my life one day and set me free through faith in his work at the cross. And he gave me forgiveness, full salvation. We were set free from sin by his blood. We do not come to the table without examining our hearts to be free from that which he died for. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Paul goes on to say, we've been delivered. Why, why are you going back and wrapping yourself in those chains again? Why would you do that? We've been set free. And so we need to examine our hearts to make sure that our hearts are free from that which the Lord died for. We've already been cleansed. Oh, but it's easy to yield and enter into temptation. We need to be right with God. If we are clean, then we also need to examine our heads. This is where I want to speak to you young people. If you've been saved, you, you've been cleansed. Your sins are washed away. But we need to make sure that we examine ourselves to make sure that we are right with our Lord. We confess our sins. How many of you young people? Don't raise your hands. But you've, you've memorized 1 John 1, 9. You know what it says. Agree with God. Lord, here's what I did. It was wrong. It was sin. Please forgive me. And he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That needs to be the mental process before we come to the table of the Lord. But then the passage says we need to examine our heads. Are we thinking about the Savior's great sacrifice for me? We get into routines. Our flesh deceives us into thinking, well, if I go through the actions, God's pleased. Now, he wants your heart in that. He wants you to discern that. So my pastor, my parents taught me, when you come to the table of the Lord, and we would have a time of just quiet so that a Christian couldn't do the quick fix. It wasn't about that. Oh, no, table of the Lord. Let's see, is there, okay, God's sorry. No, some Christians do that. But where there's really been an examination, all right, I can approach the table of the Lord with my church family, and he's there too. He's there. He's here. And I know that my heart is right with my Lord. 
And I know I'm far from perfect. I'm not what I should be in all these areas. And, and I, but God, I want to be, I know right now I'm right with you. And Lord, I just want to come and worship you and say thank you for going to the cross for me. Where my head, my mind's engaged. So I examine myself. I used to sit in church and look up and down the road. What are the adults doing? And I'd see adults with their Bibles open. I'm sure looking at crucifixion texts and they're just reading and thanking. Lord Jesus, thank you what you did for me. Hearts right. Heads engaged in the truth. Now Christians who refuse to turn from sin will be chastened by the Lord. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Hebrews 12, 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? You can claim to be a son, but if you can sin and there's no chastening, you're not a son. You're not a daughter. A perfect father chastens. Now, I'm so grateful that when I go to the Father and I make things right with him through faith, there's no reason for chastening. Chastening is when I just stubbornly stay in my sin, I refuse to get right, and chastening is needed. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, Jesus said, be zealous therefore. This is something we need to be urgent, zealous about, and repent. Say the same thing and then turn and go the other direction. The table of the Lord is not some game that we play. All right, quick fix, table, go back to living like I want. That's not what it is. Now, that's what false religion does. The Mardi Gras crowd can then just weeks later show up and pretend they're religious. That's not Bible Christianity. Now, as we look back at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30, we see a progression of the chastening. It's consistent with the previous passages on chastening. The process of chastening is this, weakness. Many weak and sickly. That leads to disease, and disease does lead to death. Many sleep. I have to believe that when Paul wrote that to this church, they knew of believers who were no longer in their assembly who were dead, and they were able to connect the dots. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? God's serious about this. The question is, do we believe that the Lord does that today? He said it. Does he ever say anything he doesn't mean? Not my God. We pray for those who are struggling physically. I think many times we know that those who are struggling physically, they're, they're folks that love the Lord and are walking with him. But it ought to be in our minds, not even necessarily as we focus on other believers, but on myself. 
Is God willing to so chasten me this way to bring me back into sweet fellowship with him? Guaranteed. He said it. He means it. And so the world can desecrate things that deserve reverence. God says, don't desecrate my things. I love you. You're my child. I saved you to fellowship with me. And I am welcoming you to my table. But it's my table. It's not just any table. It's my table. So come with a clean heart and come with a ready mind. And he'll give you the grace to do that. So each of us needs to examine ourselves, not out of fear that something might happen. Okay, don't, don't do this because I have to. The Lord is bidding you to come to his table. Someday we're all going to be gathered at a real table and he'll be serving us. And there's not going to be anybody up there saying, ah, I'm not sure I really want to be here. That should be our attitude here. You know what? When we come to the table of the Lord, this place ought to be packed out. You read some of the saints of years gone by. Uh, some of the Puritans, how they spoke of the table of the Lord, they couldn't wait to get there. Genuine believers couldn't wait to get there. It ought to be our attitude. If we judge ourselves, verse 31, we would not be judged. So come blameless to the table. Parents take time to examine, I'm sorry, to explain the need for absolute obedience to your children when coming to the table. I remember getting saved and I was excited about things and, and I want to partake of the Lord's table. And, and uh, my folks reminded me, well, you get to. He's your Savior now, but you haven't been baptized. Well, I, I want to, okay. That's a step of obedience. Get baptized and now you can come to the table. Uh, I challenge parents, if your child may have trusted Christ, you may see a change in their life, but until they're scripturally baptized, that's an area of obedience yet. They need to follow, and then they can come to the table. <clears throat> Absolute obedience is necessary, adults. Say, after all these years, well, I haven't been baptized, I just don't, please don't partake of it. You're in disobedience. And the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart about any area, a relationship with somebody else. Uh, we talked about social media this morning. Maybe there are hidden sins. You need to get right with God. You need to confess that to the Lord so that you can come to the table. The Lord's table is not the place for a Christian to pretend because he's not going to be fooled. He's not going to be fooled. So parents, take time to explain all of these things to your children and help them understand the great privilege we get to come together before God at his table. So our great guilt was paid for at Calvary's cross. Jesus is worthy of a table where his great sacrifice is remembered and he is given full honor. However, our guilt is great as Christians if we come to the Lord's table 
In our living, our thinking has not evaluated what he did for us. It has always been a challenge for me, and I'm just being honest tonight as a Christian. This is a celebration. But how do you celebrate like we are used to celebrating in other ways? How do you celebrate when you're coming to the table of one who took your death and punishment on himself? And you're also in, in great honor saying thank you. You understand what I'm saying. There's a lot of mixed emotions there. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be thankful. But, wow, God, you did that for me? For me? That's amazing. So we can, we can express joy. There ought to be tears in our eyes sometimes. Awesome reverence for the one who died for me. So my challenge tonight as we come to the table of the Lord, be blameless. Be reverent. Be joyful. But make sure that you've examined yourself. May God so work at Good News Baptist Church that the table of the Lord is something where even an unbeliever can come in and can watch what we do as we worship, but have a sense of our reverence for our loving Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. As Paul wrote under inspiration, Holy Spirit of God, I don't sense as I study this that there was anger in the heart of God towards this church. Lord, certainly you had a right to be angry. But Lord, if there's anger, there is also a holy loving pleading with this church to be right because you long for their fellowship right fellowship at your table. And so, Lord, would you help us to understand this truth. And, Lord, as we celebrate tonight, that we do it reverently, joyfully, that our praise would come from pure hearts. Lord, I ask these things now in your name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.